My name is Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. My home group is Avon Lake, Ohio, Friday night. My sobriety date is July the 5th, 1962. So I pulled from better than 34 years of experiences. And you get up here and you sometimes you, so many things get through your head that you want to share. And when I get in AA, I'm, I get carried away. I, I love it. My wife, my wife, my wife's been in Al-Anon for 35 years. So she doesn't tell me how to run my program, but just before I left the house, she says, Tom, I notice a lot lately when you lead, you, you jump around a lot, Tom. You're talking about today, and then you're talking about 40 years ago, and then you're talking about today, and you're talking about 20 years ago. She says, I can follow you, because I, I lived it. But there's people out there that don't know you, Tom, and, and they may not be able to follow you. I says, honey, I'm talking to alcoholics. <laughs> and, and they're not wrapped too tight either, honey. It's all right to jump around, because we, we don't talk from the brain up here. I heard two people say it last night, we talk from the heart. My wife would be with me, but her mother took ill. She has her lungs start filling with fluid, so they, they wanted to stay close. And I, and I come to find out last night that it seems to be getting better. But we share our strength, hope, and experience. People, I didn't come here to teach or preach. You get up here and you hope upon hope that there's somebody out there that's new, and he, and he looks around the room, and he walks around this weekend, and he sees people shaking hands and smiling and laughing, and he hear people up here talk about tragedies, and people laugh. And he says, oh, my God, he says, it may work for them, but I'm different. We reach down on our toes to, to let you know you're not different. And you know the reason you feel so welcome if you're new? You know why you feel, get the feeling we like you and we're glad to see you? Because we know you just left hell. And we'll do anything we can do to, to let you know that it's possible that you don't have to stay there. That you can come here and not drink and be happy. Learn how to be happy. That's why we're up here. We qualify. We go from the, the fun years to the sick years to the dying years. And that's only to let you know that wherever you are, we've been. And then we like to get into the... The, the good stuff, the learning how to live, the learning how to grow up. So that's why we qualify. So you know I have the right to be here. And you're not different. I don't know how you got here. I got here through pain. I have to learn everything the hard way. Even if I'm here, I have to learn everything through pain. I do it my way till I fall flat on my face. Then I say, well, maybe I better try it that way, you know. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. My dad's an admitted alcoholic. Drinking was just a way of life, a way of life in our neighborhood, a way of life in our home. We didn't know anybody that didn't drink. My dad didn't want to know anybody that didn't drink. My dad worked in the shipyards, and the social event of the week was meeting at the neighborhood bar where they had the fish fries. And my mother would take my sister and I down, and we'd meet dad on payday and have the fish fries and play shuffleboard and sing songs. And everybody telling how great it was in the old country. How great it was in Ireland. They'd be singing Irish songs. Half of them never seen Ireland. And the other half, I figured there's something wrong with these people. I was only about eight or nine years old. I knew there was something wrong with them. If it was so damn good in Ireland, why, what are they doing here? Why did they leave? When, you, when you're 16, you have a draft card saying you're 18 and you drink. Drinking is accepted as coffee is here. 
getting in some trouble at an early age, so you have a choice. You go in the service or you go upstate. So I went into the service. And I, I didn't like the service. I, and there's no service stories here. I went in a private. A little over three years, I, I come out of private. That was, that was it. That was, that was the end of my service career. I didn't, I didn't like the service. I, I, I used to go AWOL a lot. Every time I had money and go to town and get drinking, I just didn't go back. I, I didn't like it. I remember once I was being transferred somewhere from Wyoming to California or something, and I went to uh, I went home for 10 days. It was supposed to be well. I was home about three months. And my mom says, "Son, don't you don't you ever have to go back?" I says, "No, mom. They they send you a letter if there's a war or something. They don't worry about you. <laughs> they come get you. They come get you, and you you do time in the stockade. I spend as much time in the stockade as I did in the, in the barracks, I guess." So you go home and, and you're getting rehabilitated to civilian life, and you get rehabilitated at the neighborhood bar. And I loved it. I was cut in a bar fight in San Francisco. My dad told everyone in the neighborhood that I was wounded in Korea. I was the neighborhood war hero. I could walk into a bar with a dollar on Wednesday and drink till Sunday because everybody in the place bought me drinks. There's Frank's son. He had it rough over there. Send him down to drive. Some drinks lined up in front of me. About midnight, one of the old times, the neighbor come down. He passed, puts his arm around. He says, "Gee, Tom, I heard you had a rough over there. How did it happen?" I just put my head down and say, "Well, the doctor said I shouldn't talk about that." What the hell are you gonna tell him? You're not gonna make a liar out of your dad. And if he's buying the drinks, you'll tell him any damn thing. <laughs> you want to hear war stories? You buy drinks, we'll tell you war stories. We don't care. I had a nurse tell me about Alkies. I got the biggest kick out of it. Uh, and, I, and it must have made a hell of an impression because I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and it. I was sober a short time, and you know, back in in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have we didn't have the places to to take alcoholics like you have today. We had we had Rosary with Sister Ignatius, and we had uh, St. Thomas, and and we had uh, local halfway houses. They weren't interesting. And then the insurance came in, so everybody started taking us. We we become good. Well, my my sponsor was a great believer of, of going up and talking to patients. And at that time, it hit so fast that they they put the alcoholics at, at Two West in Lorraine Community Hospital with the mental patients. That's where they put us, just you know, with the mental patients. Is there no place else to put us? And one night, my sponsor called me. He said, "Tommy, I can't make it tonight. You go up and talk to the patients." So I went up, and I never seen me coming. She said, "Oh, Tommy, here to talk to the patients?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "I'll get them." And she walked down a long hall. She tap one guy, walk by another one, tap another one, walk by another. Finally, she got about ten, twelve guys together. She says, "Go to the TV room. We're going to have an AA meeting." And I grabbed her. I said, "How do you know the difference between the mental patients and the alcoholics? Do they wear badges?" Or oh no, she says, "Tommy, it's easy." As you know, I've been sober a little while, and and I don't, I can't tell any difference. She says, "You could if you were here three days, Tom." That's why is that? She says, "Well, we carry them all in." At the end of three days, you see the ones walking down the hall along the walls, kind of quiet and sedate and to themselves. I says, "Yeah." She says, "They're the mental patients." You see the ones in the office telling us how to run the hospital, <laughs> huh? You got it. We're quick forgetters, aren't we? You realize if you're an alcoholic, you're laughing at yourself. You know how good that is. You tell a joke about an alky when he's drinking, he'll punch your lights out. We're very thin-skinned people. We don't like that. We come in here. We learn how to laugh at ourselves. That's the beginning of getting well. Not take yourself so damn serious that you come to realize you're not the center of the universe, and you get to wear it kind of light. It's a it's a great way to go, people. 
It's a great way to go. Anyway, I'm I'm home a year, year and a half. Time eludes me. Um, I'll, I'll get into it a little while later, why? But but I remember my dad grabbed me one night and he says, "Tommy, says your mother's seen enough of this nonsense with me." By then, I'm going on two and three day binges and I'm getting into a lot of jackpots and it's not it's not good. He said, "This is the way you want to live your life, Tom. Do us a favor: pack your bags and get out of the house. Get out into the world and grow up." I said, okay, Dad. I says, I, uh, I will. And I packed my bags. I was down in the old neighborhood. We had a going away party for Tommy, and Tommy got on a bus. I was going to California. I was stationed out there in Riverside for a little while, and I kind of liked it. And I was going to go back out to California and make my fortune. And this bus had a rest stop in a town called Lorain, Ohio. And I seen the bars up the street, and I went up the street to have a couple of drinks in Lorain, Ohio. That was 1952. I'm still in Lorain, Ohio. <laughs> I can end qualifying right there. Whenever I drink, everything leaves: buses, clothes, cars, wives, jobs. Everything leaves because when I drink, there's something wrong with me. They call it alcoholism. When I drink, the only thing that's important to me is another drink. I don't know why. I don't care why. I know when I come here and I do certain things, I don't have to drink anymore. I know that. About three days, I come off the drunk and I call home. I said, "Dad, I'm in this town and I'm almost broke. Dad, if you send me some dough and I get out to the coast, I'll send it back a hundredfold." My dad had been talking to people in AA. He said, "Hey, I got this son that's nutty and a jaybird. What what can I do to help him?" Frank, you want to help him? Yeah, don't help him. What kind of advice is that? <laughs> Let him wake up in enough jails. Let him beat his head in against enough walls. Let him get to the point where he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let him get to the point where, just a couple of seconds, he gets honest with himself. He says, "Hey, maybe it's me." Then we'll break our backs to help him, Frank. But till then, let the clown finish his act. I come to believe that this program is not for people who need it; it's for people who want it. Now I've done it, and I'll do it again. And if you're in the program mail at the time, I'm sure you've done it. You go out and you try to help people who need it and don't want it, and it's fine. It will keep you sober. It'll break your heart too. You could have sent a hundred A's to my house. I needed this program years before I wanted it. I would have yesed them to death just to get them out of the house, so I go up to the corner. My dad hangs up. He's goodbye and good luck. I get drinking. They say they needed some chemical engineers in a chemical company out in Avon Lake, Ohio. So I went for an interview, and I got the job. Now I'm a chemical engineer. I can't spell chemical engineer, <laughs> but you put an alky with his back to the wall. You watch him; he'll be whatever he has to be. You watch an alky. Friday night, he's fighting six cops. He's winning for about three seconds. Tuesday morning, before the judge, you think he's an altar boy. Oh, Your Honor, I don't know what happened. I must have never did that before. Your Honor. Oh, fuck, Friday. While working there, I met a young lady. My God, the most beautiful thing I ever seen in my life. She invited me to her house for dinner. I went to her house for dinner. Met her mother. Her mother and I hit it off. It was great. Her mother and I still hit it off. Her mother's 82. She loves those slot machines. I take her out to Las Vegas. We ditch the wife, and her and mother-in-law and I go sneak away because the wife don't gamble, and mother-in-law loves to. So I give her a couple hundred bucks worth of quarters. She got a right arm like Joe Lewis. You should see her on those machines. 
We were up in, in Denver one year, and we are about 8,000 feet up, and she's playing the slot machines, and she starts turning blue, and I call over the, to one of the people working there. I says, hey, the mother-in-law, she's, oh, that happens a lot because of the high altitude. She's, we give her an oxygen bottle, we'll call the ambulance. We gave her the oxygen bottle, she put the mask on, she said, forget the ambulance, I'm fine. <laughs> Get full of the damn slot machine. I think she got a problem. I, who the hell cares, huh? 82, go, Mom, go, live it. Her father was a pipe fitter welder by trade. He was working down the river at a powerhouse at the time. I used to work nights, so I would pick her up. She was in nurse's training in Lorraine, and I would leave the job at 8 in the morning, go pick her up, take her into nurse's training. We have breakfast together. I drop her off. I go to my room. I clean up. I take a, get some sleep, pick her up after work. I wind and dine this lady every day. I knew I had a good best decision I ever made when I was drinking was, was marry her. I met her in November. I married her in December. That was 44 years ago, and we're still married. No thanks to me, believe me. If the shoe was on the other foot and she was the alky, this wouldn't have lasted 44 days. There's not an alky in this room could take what he dished out. Not a one of us. I had her believe, and she was crazy. We're good at that. We're good at that. Married this young lady. <laughs> Against the wishes of a father. A father come home one weekend over the holidays. Looked at me, I looked at him, he said, let's go up the corner, I want to get to know you. I figured, boy, my kind of people. And we went up to the corner, and we got laughing and talking and drinking, and we got along great. About midnight, he says, Tom, will you do me a favor? I said, Walt, you name it, you got it. He says, never come near my home or my daughter again. I said, what are you talking about? I thought we got along great. He said, we do, I'll drink with you any time, but I don't want you near my daughter. You drink too much. I said, what do you mean I drink too much? You're drinking drink for drink with me. So that's why I know. So I put my family to hell with this booze. You think I want my daughter tangled up with something like you? I said, I'm going to marry your daughter. He's over my dead body. I said, if need be. And the lights went out. Boy, boom, he broke my nose. An hour later, we're down in the hospital. They're sewing up his mouth, his eye, my nose. It's a mess. Three days later, I married his daughter. Don't tell an alky not to do something. I go to work drunk and I lose the job. Now I'm in a strange town with a wife, no job, no money, no nothing. What can the poor guy do? He takes me into Cleveland, he gets me involved in a pipe fitter apprenticeship. And we take a brand new two-car garage he built and we take the front door off, we put on the windows and a little door, space heater and a bathroom and a, we make a little honeymoon cottage. And the wife and I move into the cottage and Tom starts working as a pipe fitter apprentice and the deal is, as soon as I get to my fourth or fifth year and start making a decent buck, we're going to buy our house in the suburbs and live happily ever after. Oh, my God. Four children and seven years later, we're still in the cottage. And I'm a journeyman now, and I'm making a pretty decent buck when I work. But the more I make, the more I drink. I used to drink on Friday, Saturday, sober up Sunday, go to work Monday. Now it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sober up Monday, go to work Tuesday. Get paid on Wednesday, never make Thursday. Wake up in Chicago, Philadelphia, Jersey, New York, corner park, driveway, kitchen floor. I never knew where I wake up. I, I just, when I get drinking, I, somebody says, Tom, you ever been to St. Louis? No, boy, it's a hell of a town. Yeah, let's go. Okay, sounds good to me. Wake up at St. Louis, not remember how the hell you got there. Time and time again. I used to wake up on the kitchen floor and she'd come out and she'd kick me. She'd tell me I need some money for groceries. I don't have any money for groceries. 
when I get drinking, it's party time. I don't know what happens. So I used to do the only thing I know how to do. I used to attack. Damn it, I drank when I married you. I'm going to continue to drink. And if you don't like it, rah, 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 you're not going to make me like that neighbor. I had a neighbor. I hated his guts. He was normal. <laughs> Biggest thing in his life was his grass. Every Saturday morning, he mows the damn grass and, uh, gee, your head comes off. I've been in a neighborhood bar and he walk in and I send him down a drink. Send someone so down a drink. Trying to be neighborly. He drink it and leave. I said, where are you going? He says, I, I have to go home. Supper is waiting. Supper's waiting. When I stopped in for a drink, I could care less if the Pope is waiting. It, it never dawns on me to leave. I'm leaving you. That was my big spiel. I'm leaving you. I go in the bedroom with my brown paper bag and I start packing my underwear and my socks and she would come in and cry. Tom, well, I didn't mean to upset you. Tom, what did I do to upset you? What? what? Oh, it was sickening. I had the world by the tail. For years I had my wife believing it was her fault I drank. Then I, they took me to AA and they took her to that communist club, that Al-Anon. <laughs> I was so happy when she went down there I thought, oh boy, she's going to learn how to help me. No, no. No, no. They learn how to help themselves in spite of you. Thank God, people. Thank God for AA and I. These are sacred. This is sacred ground. You come in our home today and we, we have an open AA house. We got a dirty cupper on the kitchen all the time. We have people coming. My son has 15 years of sobriety and he brings all the new people to my house because I'm supposed to be the old timer and I know so much. I don't know a damn thing. They sit there and answer their own questions. I just sit there and listen. Who cares? But on and on. Alan gave my, my wife her, her, her brain back, gave her a sanity back, gave her a self-respect back. Oh, God. AA gave me my life and my sanity back. You think we're... This is sacred. You can come in our home and kid about anything you want to kid about from religion or furniture to anything. You say one joke about AA or Alan, you'll, you'll go out feet first. It's sacred ground, people. And if I can't do it, my son Chris is 6'5", 240, he'll do it, because he loves AA too. He's got 15 years. Gave him his wife and his family back. Oh, this is a gift. This is a gift we, we better never take for granted. And it isn't a social club. If there's somebody new here and you see us all, we, there's, a, there's a side of this that we know also. My small group, Avon Lake, Ohio, since I've been around... There's 39 people from the ages of 18 to 62 who are dead now, who thought they could drink again. They go out and they wind up getting killed, killing themselves, wrapping their cars around poles. We're not playing games. This isn't a cookie club. This life and death. We're here to save each other's life. Why do you think the people that get up here like, like Sue and keep here to pour their hearts out? Judy, pour our hearts out to, to let you know what a great thing we have. And we're trying to give it back because that's the only way we can keep it. You, you, you get so filled up with gratitude and, and, and you, you think, oh, God, don't, don't let it pass you by. I go home one up about four in the morning and my suitcase hits me right in the chest. She's Tom, I, I, I put up with all I can put up with. She says, I'll get a job. I'll do whatever I have to do. Just get out of our lives. I was happy. I was going to go into the Gold Coast and get her apartment. I was going to be a playboy. 
Well, when you're not working too steady, you're not going to live in the Gold Coast. You're going to live in an $8 a week room behind the Avenue Bar. And your big nights out are sitting in all the neighbor dives, peeling the labels off of beer bottles, listening to poor me songs. And you're getting popped, boy. Your timing's off, your legs are shot, and you're getting popped. And when do you want to see your kids? You want to see your kids when the bar's closed. So you get in the, into your car and you drive in your car. Every drunk has a car, don't we? In construction, most guys have two cars. They have a car, an old beat-up junker, and they have a pickup truck, and they use to go to the jobs in the different places. And then they have a nice family car that they take the wife in. We had one car, an old beat-up Plymouth with ball tires and no ignition key. I'm out drinking with my buddy, my electrician buddy, who I introduced to my wife's sister, and they got married. You should see my father-in-law now. Oh, God. <laughs> We're out drinking one night. I lose the keys to the car, and he says, don't worry, I'll fix it. He reaches under the dash, pulls out all the wires, puts three wires together with a clothespin, and the car started. That's how I used to start the car every morning. Get up, put the clothespin on. I'd be going to work. I'd be in the middle of traffic, 6,000 cars, and the clothespin hits a bump. The clothespin falls. The car stops. Everybody's blowing their horn at me. Boy, I'm looking for the clothespin in the middle of traffic. And that's how I lived, and I thought it was normal. You didn't spend money on, on keys and tires. That was openers. You didn't want to waste money on that stuff. Oh, God. I remember one day I got 37 stitches in my face one night. A guy did a job on me, and I, I come out of the emergency room, and I thought, boy, this... This be a good time to go see the wife, because all the other times I go out, I pull in the driveway, the cops pull in, and come on, Tommy, you're not going to see your kids. I'm going to see my kids. No, you're not. They have restraining orders. What drunk cares about restraining orders? You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'll see my kids, and I'll leave. No, come with us. Well, you're going to throw one punch, you're going to wake up in jail, and your hair's going to hurt. And I got nothing against cops. If, if I was a cop and some punk talked to me the way I talked to them, I'd break his head, too. But I get these stitches in my face, and I don't look too good. I look all beat up. And I go out, and I knock on the back door, and she opens the door and looks at me and smiles. I thought, boy, she's glad to see me. She says, do you know God answers prayers? <laughs> you finally got yours, you rotten son of a bitch. And slam the door. That was the end of that show. That, that, keep going. I finally went on the wagon. She says we were separated a year and a half. People, I don't know. All I know is I got fed up with living that way. I didn't want to live that way anymore. Walking around on Dream Street half the time, working a day, two days a week. The hall won't send you out to jobs because they know you're going to go on a drunk the first check you get. So you're getting all the junk jobs down the mills and the coke oven gas lines and whatever rotten job they got, that's what you're getting. So I go on the wagon, I call her up, I says, honey, I haven't had a drink in three weeks and I, and I want to see you and the kids. I want to take you on a picnic. She says, you haven't drank in three weeks? I says, no, she's okay. So on out Sunday and I bought picnic baskets and, and baseball gloves and who teaches you how to be a father? Took them down the valley and I threw the ball and I played. I did this for three Sundays in a row and she thought I was a changed man and we're going to try again. And we borrowed money off of friends and relatives and we bought a house on land contract in Avon Lake. We one of those little summer cottages that they remodeled, winterized. And I remember standing on the porch the day we moved in, and people, I'm not blowing smoke, and I'm not trying to con anybody. I'm as honest as I know how to be. And I says, honey, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to go to work Monday, and we're going to pay the bill. When I'm working, I'm making as much money as anybody on the street. They're going to Florida in the wintertime. They're buying new cars every other year. Their kids are going to school dressed nice and warm in the wintertime. I'm driving old junkie cars. 
We can't afford to go to Akron, and my kids are going to school in the wintertime and summer clothes. There's something wrong. And we're in hock up to our eyeballs. It's a... Rob Peter to pay Paul. You got five drunken driving charges in four months. You're paying off lawyers for money you're borrowing from loan companies. The last driving drunken driving charge you're paying off on time payments. It's, it's something's wrong. I stood on the porch and I said, honey, I'm gonna go to work Monday and you and I are gonna live like other people. We're gonna pay the bills, get straightened out and we're gonna, we're gonna live because I'm not gonna drink anymore. And I, I meant it. Thirty days later, the house payment was due, and I didn't have it because I was nursing a hangover on the front porch. Because sometime during that thirty days, I stopped in for one drink. One drink, and the rat race starts all over again. One drink, and the only thing I can think of is I deserve it. I've been good. Something happens to me. I don't care what you call it. Call it whatever you want. I'm allergic to alcohol. While I'm sitting there, the brother-in-law comes up, and he don't look too good either. He says, gee, Tommy, he says, I, I, I got problems. I said, when you got problems? He says, I got to go before Jensen Tuesday on a drunken driving charge. I says, Bob, I don't want to hear it. I says, I got nothing. I'm paying the last one off on time payments. I says, I don't, I don't have to. Yeah, he says, but I'm being sued for divorce. I says, I know. He says, how do you know? I says, I got my papers this morning, too. Jensen was a friend of the family. He called both the wives, and he says, look, I'll give you two divorces for the price of one. Get rid of both the losers. You girls can do better. While we're talking, the wife comes out and she gets talking to the brother-in-law. They get along great. Always did, always still do. Let, let me, come with me a minute, people. Tell you what. Here's, here's drinking living. Here's pre-AA living. My wife and I don't see each other. My wife and her sister would not see each other for eight, nine months at a time. One time they were Christmas shopping, Bob Maradine, and they stopped at the house. And they had their car full of presents and stuff for the kids. And they stopped at the house to say hello, and Big Shot says, Don't cook, honey. I'll go down and get some of those roasted chickens. Bob and I go down the street to get the roasted chickens. And the guy says, Takes about 20 minutes. I says, Okay, we'll stop in, have a couple of drinks. We'll be right back. Three days later, we're in the hills of Pennsylvania looking for his bootleg uncle or something. That Christmas, we didn't get home for about a week or two. Ruined that Christmas. And many, many Christmases and many holidays. They had family get-togethers. They wouldn't invite me and Bob because they knew there'd always be a fight. We were unwelcome anywhere. So the wife said, well, Bob isn't that bad when he's not with Tom. And Tom isn't that bad when he's not with Bob. We'll keep them apart. So they wouldn't see each other. That's drinking living. Here's AA living. I get a, a call to go speak out in uh, Eugene, Oregon about four or five years ago. Bob's got about 30 years of sobriety, too. Bob's at the kitchen. We're having a cup of coffee. He says, you know, Tommy, he says, we never really went on a, a vacation, or we never really went on a honeymoon. I said, that's right. He says, why don't we take the wives, and when you go out to Eugene, Oregon, we'll go with you, and we'll just bum around. I said, that's great. Where do you want to go? He says, I don't know. So we threw a dart at a map up in Michigan. And we're going from Cleveland to Oregon, and we go up in Michigan. Down the, to Wisconsin, back up to Oklahoma, not Oklahoma, but uh, I don't even know. We went across the whole country, went to Denver, Colorado, went to Mount Rushmore. We, we took five weeks, bummed around the country. Ate in the finest hotels, lived in the finest places, because you're sober now, you got a few bucks. We danced with our wives like they were kids. My wife looked 22 again with the bright eyes. 
That's sober living. You learn how to live. You learn how to enjoy. And we laughed and cried and laughed and cried. Five weeks of heaven, dead sober. That's my AA. You can make amends and you can make up for some of the hurts over the years, some of the pain. Beautiful way to go. Anyway, the wife says, my sister and I were talking to a minister. He told us about a group of people that meet on Friday nights and they, they're putting their lives together. They don't drink and they meet at the church. Bob says, gee, you think if I go there, I'll, she'll hold off on a divorce. She says, I don't know, Bob, that'd be up to her, but it might be worth a shot. I say, how about me? I'll go. I'll go to the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts. I'll go anywhere. I don't, I don't want a divorce. She says, you, she says, they don't make things help people like you. You're just crazy. Friday night, I went to my first AA meeting. I'm 28 years old. He's 27. We stand at the swinging doors of a cafeteria-type room in the church. And at that time in my life, people I don't like or trust, people. Everybody's a phony. Everybody's out for what they can get. I didn't know I was going to meet people like I met in here. I didn't know I was going to meet people that come back to my kitchen, sat at my kitchen table till three in the morning because they thought I was shaking and wanted to help me get through the night. And they don't have their hand out for anything other than shake yours and help you. Because they get their greatest joy out of watching you stay sober. They go to work at eight in the morning. They don't ask for anything. They get their greatest joy out of giving this away. I couldn't even conceive those kind of people. I lived where I'll suck you before you suck at me. That's where I lived. We walk into this room. I look around the room. There's about 20 or 30 people there, and they were all dressed so nice. I thought I was at a PTA meeting. And two things hit me. One, number one, they were all old. My God, look at them, 45, 50 years old. No wonder they quit drinking. They try to drink now, they're dead. They couldn't cut it. There were guys talking to their wives. Who talks to their wife? My wife and I do not talk. We, we just fight. Five minutes, we're at each other's throat. The only reason we're not divorced is we can't afford a divorce. There's no love, there's no nothing in our home. No trust, no nothing. It's strictly survival. Strictly survival. I got 35 cents in my pocket, clean work clothes, and that's all I got. They're turning off the gas and there's no food in the refrigerator. One guy breaks away from the crowd. He's 105. He comes over towards us. I didn't think he was going to make it. Sticks out his hand. He says, welcome. It's so good to see you young fellas. Fellas, this program works. I haven't had a drink in 16 years. 16 years. My God, my legs got weak. My brother-in-law says, you got to be awful thirsty, mister. <laughs> Who the hell ever heard of not drinking for 16 years? Don't talk years when you talk AA to me. You better talk days, hours, and minutes. Talk about the times you slam out of the house and slam the door. You're going to show them. I'll go get drunk. I've been sober 10 days. They still treat me like they used to. Tell me about those days. 20 years, you're kicking people in the teeth. Now in 10 days, you think the whole world's going to change. Alkies. We want 20 years of sobriety and everything goes with it in 20 days. Don't work that way. You've got to earn respect. You've got to earn trust. And it takes a long time, people.
I grabbed this old guy and say, mister, not me, him. He, I just come to help him. He's, he's in trouble. His wife's divorced him. I can quit any time I want. Oh, he says, thank you. I went over. I got a cup of coffee. They were telling jokes about drunken driving charges. Jokes. There's nothing funny. I thought it was in Looney Tune land. There's nothing funny about drunken driving charge. They're laughing. Then they announced the lead. Oh, boy. Here's the Messiah. Here's the teacher. Guy gets up here with a brand new suit and a white shirt. Had a little cake. One candle. It was his first anniversary. It was his first lead. And he was just walking three feet off the ground. My brother-in-law and I, we went over to the side. I'm not joining anything. I, I'm still not a joiner. I, I'm just looking you over. I'm not... It's taking some heat off me if I come here. Guy gets up here and he looks out. Everybody's wife is in about the third row. He looked at her. He says, hi, honey. I love you. And she stands up and says, I love you, too. And my brother-in-law poked me. What the hell are we doing here? I said, I know what we're doing here, you sick son of a gun. You want to come here, not me. Second thing I hear, and I love you. My wife's home lighting candles. Dear God, let him die. We'll get the insurance. That's where we were. Here, these people are in love. My wife used to plan ways to kill me. I remember once, oh God, I remember once, I was laying in the tub on a, on a Sunday morning, and I was trying to get over a terrible hangover. And I opened my eyes, and she's standing next to the tub with a hammer, big ball-peen hammer. My toes are digging into that tub. And it seemed like forever she stood there. And she had a crazy look in her eyes. And finally, she dropped the hammer and walked out. I come to find out the only reason she didn't kill me, she didn't know who was going to take care of the kids. Huh? Talk about we drive people crazy, and she don't drink. Living with an alky can drive you nuts. If you're an alky and you're lucky enough to have a woman with you that was with you when you were drinking, <laughs> you owe. You owe. If my wife is here with me, you'd see me get the coffee. I don't get my wife's coffee because I'm some kind of a wimp. I get my wife's coffee because it's my way of saying thanks, honey. Thanks for being the woman you were when I wasn't the man I should have been. Thank you for feeding our kids. Thank you for making sure our kids had a roof over their head. Thank you for holding our family together while I was on Dream Street. You don't wait on me, babe. I wait on you. You paid your dues in spades. I love you and I respect you. You sit down. I'm going to treat you like a queen for the rest of your life. And if you're in my home group and you come to the home group with, with your wife, you'll get the coffee too because we make sure you get the coffee. It's part of the training. Not too much to ask. Can I say thank you? Is that too much? Next thing this guy said was, isn't it great to be sober? I got up this morning and I could smell the flowers. Smell the flowers. Oh, God, I couldn't wait. Will you get done so I can get out of here? You're not in my world, fella. I was not impressed. And he went on and on and on. Finally, he got done and I'm leaving. I'm going out the door as quick as I can. And at the door, at Avon Lake is Big John. He stands right by the exit. There's only one door out. He stands there. He's about 6'4", 220. You know, he's eyeballing me, and I'm eyeballing him as I'm going to the door, and I figured, oh, that's how it works. You're not getting out today, Tom. John's going to make sure you don't drink today. I got to the door, and John put out his hand. He said, hello, young fella. I said, hello, and he got my hand. He don't let go. And in five minutes, he tells my life story. You know why I know that? I said, no. My wife called you and tell you about me? 
He says, no, he says, that's where I was when I got here. There's people in this room come out of hospitals, there's people in this room come out of prisons, there's people in this room come out of their $300,000 homes on the lake, living like zombies. But you do yourself a favor, young fella. You bring the body, the mind's going to catch up. Bring the body. You know, you get up here and you, and you rack your brains. What did I hear? What did I hear that, that, that brought me back? What, what can I tell a new man that may want him to come back? And the more you rack your brains, the more I come to realize it isn't so much what I heard in these rooms. It's what I felt in these rooms. For the first time in many years, I got people looking at me eyeball, eyeball, and accepting me just face value. And how do you explain eyes? How do you tell somebody about eyes? How do you tell somebody about strong, kind, wonderful eyes of people who seem to know where they were yesterday, where they are now, and they have direction in their life, and they feel good about themselves? How do you get that without drinking? You get it here. You get it here. You do the things they did, and you get it. You get to like yourself. John talked to me, and I got the feeling John liked me, and I felt good. John introduced me to two other men. One man said, I'll pick you up tomorrow night. I only live three blocks from you, and they had good eyes. I met three men at that meeting I liked. On the way home, Bob said, what do you think? I said, I don't know, Bob. I said to Bob, what do you think? He said, I don't know. He said, I'm too young. They did all those things I want to do. I'll do them, and then I'll know where to go. Well, Bob did all this living. In about 18 months, they put him in a white coat. He was in DTs, and somebody's addict swallowed his tongue. He almost died. I come back to your meetings for four months and I listen to your success stories. My wife and I are fighting. I'm sleeping on the couch. I could have been a priest. My wife didn't think it was going to work. You're not going to make me pregnant again, you son of a gun. You stay on the couch. I'll just... I go to meetings and I hear something. I, I... We're still fighting, still arguing. I can't pay the bills. My life is still turned upside down. My kids, my kids don't want to be in the same room with me. If I'm in the kitchen, my kids go to the living room. I go to the living room, my kids go upstairs in the kitchen. They, the kids were afraid of daddy. I didn't know my own kids until after, two years after I come in this program. I didn't know them until they were nine, eight. Now I got, God in his mercy gives us a second chance. We got six grandchildren. Now the, the, the first one, he's in college. He's in his second year. Two of them in college. I give cars away for high school graduations. I'm bankrupt giving away cars. That's what I give the kids for. They think I'm Santa Claus. Boy, I graduate next year. I got my car picked out, Grandpa. Great. Okay. Justin. Justin is my, my, my little tough monkey. I, I, God. Justin's 16 now. He's playing a hell of a ball player. But when Justin was seven, Justin was in karate. Or pink belt or some damn thing. You know that new thing they learned with the, all the moves? And I'm in the kitchen making coffee one Saturday morning and Justin comes running in because they got to share everything with Grandpa. Grandpa, Grandpa, I learned a new move. I said, you did. I said, it's great. And I turned around and Justin jumped up and kicked. Oh, God, I went down like a ton of bricks. Now, how they kick when they're seven? I'm on the kitchen floor and I'm in deep pain and I'm crying and I'm hurting. And he's jumping up. It works, it works, it works, it works. You little son of a gun, I'll karate you. The... There's no fear of Grandpa. Isn't that wonderful? There's no fear of Grandpa, because Grandpa doesn't yell and scream anymore. Grandpa isn't crazy anymore. 
God, they, they finish a, a, a football game on a Friday night and Justin, come on, we'll go to my grandpa's house and eat. They emptied the refrigerator. Walks up with the football team. Hi, Grandpa. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing, Justin? Can we get something? Sure. Go ahead. The wife is still spending as much money on groceries now as she did when we raised the family for the football team. Comes and empties the refrigerator. We love it. My kids couldn't bring any friends home because they didn't know how daddy was. Oh, God, what a gift. My Katie, my redhead, I, I could run. Katie got red hair. I had a, I had a, a mint 85 price for convertible that, that I, it never seen rain, never seen snow. It was perfect. 32,000 miles. Can you picture this car? Huh? It was a honeymoon car. At midnight, I used to say to the wife, come on, we'll go on a ride. And we put the top down, we ride out to the million and down by the lake. And this was a, well, I went down to Florida to lead a meeting and I come home and the, the car was gone. So it didn't surprise me because we always sent it away to get waxed and all this stuff for the, the, the summer. And I said, well, who's got the car, honey? And she says, I got to talk to you about that. I said, what do you mean you got to talk to me about that? She says, well, you know, it, it, it's Kate's 16th birthday, and she always loved that car, so I gave it to her for her birthday. I said, you did what? She says, I gave Kate the car for her birthday. You know how much she loves it. I said, honey, she could use it anytime she wants, but you just give it to her? She says, wait, don't say a word. Don't say a word. And she gets on the phone. She says, Kate, Grandpa's home. Kate pulls in the driveway with the red hair flowing in the top down. She gets out of the car, runs in the house, and says, oh, Grandpa, I love it. Thank you. Kisses me. I said, oh, I'm so happy for you, honey. <laughs> hey, you try to take the car back, huh? That's A.A. living. Things, things, things don't mean a damn thing anymore. Things. The most important thing in the world is people. People, if it don't bleed, the hell with it. If it doesn't bleed, the hell with it. It can be replaced. Jobs, houses, money, bank all can be fixed. If money can fix it, it's not a problem. People. People are the most important thing in the world. Four months I heard your stories, and for four months I, I come to your meetings, and I decided that my problem was not booze. My problem's money. Money. And I heard about a job out in Sturgis, South Dakota. They were, they were building missile bases back then, about 1960. And I come out here with another fella, and I got working on the missiles, and as a result of not drinking for four months, and out here I didn't drink for seven weeks, they put me in charge of the Titan II fuel systems. And I was working 712s, I made a lot of money. They shouldn't let out these things. I, I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I'd never seen a live chicken in my life, and I, I leased a 300-acre chicken ranch. Right at the bottom of Bear Butte Mountain. Chicken ranch. My thinking was, well, there's 2,000 guys in this job. They need eggs. I'm working 712s, making very good money, and I'm going to sell eggs. I call the wife. I bring the kids out. I said, they're going to love it. There's deer, there's pheasant. Everything runs right through the yard. There's rabbits the size of horses, for crying out loud. I said, bring them out. She says, you drinking? I says, no. She's okay, I'll be out. Well, that night I went to the bar. I was shot in a beer. One shot, one beer. And I left. And I had a room in town at the hotel. And I woke up the next morning at about 5.30. I was the happiest son of a gun you ever seen in your life. I proved it. I'm not an alcoholic. They said, don't take the first drink. I took it. I controlled it. So I went down to the bar at 6 in the morning. I said, buddy, put the bottle right there. It's party time. And that was the beginning of all the things I heard that happened to people up here that never happened to me in the next year and a half happened. Happened so fast that make your head swim. The wife came out in June. She stayed till Christmas. Couldn't take any more. Packed the kids and left. 
I got locked up in Rapid City one night, and they called her to come get me, and on the way in, she run into a, a blizzard, just a whiteout, and she went off the road and got out the car to go to a farmhouse, her eyes froze shut, and if it wasn't for a fuel oil truck that found my wife laying on the highway, my wife and kids would have been dead. I don't know anything about it. I'm on Dream Street. She went back, got the kids packed up, and left. I stayed out there another two or three months, I don't remember. I get drinking, I'm drinking day, I have to drink to work, work to drink. I lose the job because I can't leave a, read a print anymore. I think it's Saturday, it's Tuesday. I get back welding, I throw the hood down in, in February, I hear Christmas carols. I got a bottle behind every steel beam you can find. And if I run out of booze, I got to leave. I don't care if it's Sunday double time, I got to go because I'm going to come upon in about an hour. Finally, one guy from Ohio says, Tommy, I'm going home. Let me take you. He takes me to the back door of my house, Navon Lake. The wife opens the door says, If you've got any decency in you, just get out of our lives. I don't want the kids to see you. i got the papers in for the divorce. Just leave. I figure, well, she'll never make it without me. I get down the hall. They give me a ticket to go to work in New York. I get to New York. I'm too sick to work. I stop in for a few drinks. Now I'm sleeping in airways, hallways. With the winos passing the brown paper bag. I used to think I'll never drink wine. You'll drink any damn thing you get your hands on. They press a brown paper bag. You don't ask what's in it. I wake up one morning. I'm on the on the hallway where my mom and dad live. And my mother, wake up. My mother's sitting next to me. Get, she's out to get the milk. And she's just crying. And I says, Mom, what's the matter? She says, what's the matter? Look at you. You're breaking my heart, son. Will you please go get help? I can't stand to see you like this. Mom, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. How do you mean you're going to be fine? Look at you. That's pre-AA living. Okay? Now let me show you A life. As a result of coming to AA, Tom and his sons go into business in 1979 with the help of people in AA, lawyers, bookkeepers, you name it. And, and, and we do very well. In 1982, Tom goes to New York and says to his mom and dad, just bring your toothbrush, mom, dad, come with me. Put him in, take him to Florida, because I bought him a house in Fort Myers. And they never have to see snow again. Now you've got a mother crying with their tears of joy. Calling up all her sisters. Look, you should see what Tom got us. Come on down and visit us. Boy, you've been getting things as good. Where do you start giving? We, we, we have a chance to, to make amends. We have a chance to fill some of the hurts we did, huh? That's my AA. Without it, I'm nothing. With it, there's nothing I can't do. I'm not here to go through the 12 steps. Would you do that with your sponsor? I'm here to show you the result of the 12 steps. The change it's going to make in your life when you put them in your life. You find a power grade in yourself, and you, you, you'll spend the rest of your life keeping you out of the way. The only time I have any problems is when I try to run the show. You're not doing it fast enough, God. Move over. Boom. Right on my butt, I fall it. I decided I was going to kill myself. I remember going to the bike dock where the trains run. I was going to jump. My wife don't love me. AA don't work. My mother don't work me. Nobody loves me. I'll show them. I'll kill me. How sick do you get? With an alky, it's always their fault. I get up on the, the bridge and I look down I see these great big rocks and I had a spiritual awakening. I said, suppose you hit those rocks and don't die. That's going to hurt, Tom. You better believe that's going to hurt. I figured, no, there's a better way to go than this. 
I called a wife, and my wife was having a tough time feeding four kids and trying to work and raise them, so she figured if I got back in town, maybe got work, and I'd give her a few bucks. So she sent me money. I got home on the bus, and I sweated out for five days. Went down the hall. They gave me a ticket. I went to work down the mill. Had a three-day job. Got a three-day check. Went to a bar to cash it and woke up in jail. And I cried all night, not because I was alcoholic. I thought I was nuts. What do they do now? Why am I doing in jail again? Because the cop walked by and says, you really did it this time, Burns. I don't know what I did. What I did, I, I went home and I wrecked the house, broke the furniture, had the wife by the throat when the cops come. I don't believe in laying a hand on a, on a woman. And here I got my wife by the throat, kids screaming. What kind of nut are you? I wake up in jail next morning, I look between the bars and who's standing there but my nutty brother-in-law. And he's cleaned up and he looks good, his eyes are bright. Even him, I gotta put up my wall, you know our wall, we can't let people in. Can't let them know I'm afraid. I lived in fear. Gee, Bob, can you imagine I'm in jail again? He laughs. Of course I can imagine you're in jail again. When you drink, you're just like me. You're crazy. You're just like me. Tom, I didn't have a drink. I haven't had a drink in eight days. Eight days. Bob, you can't make eight days. Tommy? They took me out. I went to detox. They took me out of straps. I, I got a sponsor. I go to two meetings a day. If they don't send you away, Tommy, I'll take you with me tonight. I got six years probation. I had to pay for a car. I had to pay for uniforms. I had a lot of pain. Boy, a lot of stuff we had to pay for. That night I went to a meeting. And I remember sitting at the meeting. And I'm sitting at these tables. And inside I'm screaming, Oh, God, please help me. I'm crazy, God. I'm not like these people. But I can't drink anymore. I, I don't know. I, I know I, I got to drink to live. But if I don't drink, I'll, I'll... Oh, God, I don't want to drink. I'm afraid to drink. Help me. And a man sits down. He says, How you doing, young fella? I says, Fine. Fine. You can't let him in. You can't let anybody look inside and see what you're made of because you have nothing inside but fear. I can't tell you about the lead, but after the meet, after the lead was over, the man that became my sponsor shook hands with another man. He said, See you next week. And I grabbed him. I said, How do you know that? How do you know you're going to see him next week? How do you know you're going to be sober next week? I don't even know if I'm going to make it home tonight. He's back off and come with me. We went to a drugstore. We got vitamin B, Cairo syrup, orange juice, and honey. Went to my kitchen table. He poured out the vitamin B pills, mixed the orange juice and the honey. He said, Take them and drink that. You talk about third step, make a decision, turn your life. I, I didn't have a God, people. I have a religious training, but I, I never had a God like you people seem to have. He, he was my power grade myself. He was sober 12 years, and he had the secret to sobriety. Whatever this man wanted me to do, I was going to do. Because I was afraid not to. And I took the pills and I drank the juice and I took the pills and I drank the juice. And finally, what time is that? 10 after 12. Did you have a drink today? I said, no, he says, you got it. I got what? He's got the program. I got what program? What the hell are you talking about? I got the program. You haven't had a drink in 24 hours. That's bottom line. There's a lot more, but you're not ready. I'll be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Do you realize you'll have one third of today in? Keep it simple. I beg you, keep it simple. I know people who went on head trips and had to find out why they drank, why they drank. John, John, John fooled with this program for 15, 20 years, never got more than 10, 11 months. Had to find out why. I'm sitting in my kitchen one day and John comes running in. He says, Tom, I went to Arizona or some damn place. I found out why I drank. He said, I, you did. Why? He said, my mother didn't breastfeed me. 
Your mother didn't breastfeed you. What a guilt trip to hang on your mother. As you're 42 years old, you want to suck on something, I'll get you a cow. What the hell is it with you? Mother. If I would have went to Sister Ignatia and said, Sister Ignatia, I drink because my mother didn't breastfeed me, she would have broke a rosary bead over my head. John got drunk, fell asleep smoking in the chair, the cigarette caught the chair on fire, and the chair caught John on fire, and that's how John died. Huh? You think we're playing games? Don't go on head trips. Just do. My head didn't keep me sober. My feet kept me sober. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me to a meeting. My head wanted to drink long after I come here. My feet took me to meetings and made coffee. I got there early. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me to my sponsor's house. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me to hospitals where I sat and listened all the time and speak to patients. Didn't say a word, just sat. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me down. I talked to Sister Ignatius and pray and listen to her talk to new people. My head wanted to drink. I go home and tell the wife, I'm afraid. I don't think I can make this. Can you make it today, Tommy? And she read literature, Al-Anon literature. Same thing. Up to my head, my head never. I, best thing I could do for a new man is take his brain out of his head for the first year. Don't let that son of a gun think. He'll think himself. He'll justify robbing a bank. My head. I didn't use my head. I used my sponsor's head. I can remember going to the job and I wanted to take the hood and throw it across the floor and punch the superintendent in the mouth and I say, wait a minute, Tommy, wait a minute now, if you do that, you're not going to be working. Well, what would Jay do? Jay would have a cup of coffee and laugh and go back to work. Well, you better do what Jay would do, Tommy, because if you do what you're going to do, you're not going to be working. So I would do what Jay would do and that night I think, boy, that was easy. I copied and imitated and copied and imitated winners, copied, put pieces together. My house was like I living in a spring. My kids were always nervous and scared. And I, I, I seen John and I said, what does he do? I go to his house. His kids are loving him, jumping up on him. His wife is with him. They're going out to dinner. What does John do? I'll do what John does because I want that in my house. And that's what I start doing. I start copying and imitating. Normal people go from the brain to the, to the body. Alfie's got to go from the body to the brain. Show him the results of. Gee, I go to meetings for 15 days and I haven't drank in 15 days. That's good. Yeah, I'll keep going to those meetings. Move the feet. The action's where it is, people. Not the knowing. I'll introduce you to people that could quote the big book by heart. Tell you what page this is on. And read 449 and read this and read that. And they're drunk because they forgot to do what the big book says to do. Don't get me wrong. I love the big book. It's great. But don't. Just because you own a piano don't mean you can play it. Man was there the next day. Took me downtown. I got a shot of vitamin D. I went to two discussion groups, and that night I went to a meeting, and I became a mechanical man. I went, I went to work with hard candy and Pepsi-Cola. That's what I lived on. And I went to meetings, 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 and more meetings. Every night I went to meetings. I've seen times I storm out of the house, I leave the job, I go home, I'm not going to a damn meeting tonight. They're going to tell me to pray. They're going to tell me to do this. I'm going to, I'm going over the east side and get drunk. This sobriety isn't worth it. I'm still broke. I'm still fighting with the wife. I'm still sleeping on the couch. What the hell is good to being sober? I'll never get out of the hole I'm in. I go home, I change clothes, I go out, and two AAs are sitting on my front porch. Hi, Tom, how are you? <laughs> I'm going to a meeting. You bet your life you're going to a meeting. Thank God they knew me better than I knew myself. Meetings, meetings. My wife and I are still fighting, arguing. I go home from a meeting. My wife say, how'd the meeting go, honey? What do you mean, how'd the meeting go? I'm sober, ain't I? What the hell more do you want? Good AA, huh? 
Honey, could you mow the grass while I, I work in the back? So, uh, what do you mean mow the grass? I'll work up a sweat and I'll, 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 I'll have to drink. You want me to drink, don't you? Huh? See, you don't have to be drunk to be useless. You can be dead sober and useless as a bed bug. I go to a meeting. Somebody says, any anniversary? Somebody says, Tom sober year. Hey, everybody claps. Boy, I got a head that big. I get in the car, I'm driving home. This guy says to me, hey, Tom, are you still sleeping on the couch? Yeah. Why? Why? I don't know. I just... Tommy, you work. You sleep in the bed. Is that right? Right. Put her on the couch. Okay. This guy says, you're still giving up money every week? Yeah. Why? You're still broke? Yeah. She don't handle money. You, you, you don't give her money. You handle the money. Damn right. That's what's going to... I'm going to handle the money. I'm in the car by myself. I got six nuts up in his head. I always listen to the crazy ones. I don't know why. That's the way it always is with me. And I go home in that meeting. I pull in the back door and I walk into the living room and she's reading them books, always reading them books, them communist books. That's all she ever did, reading them books. I say, there's new game rules. From now on, I handle the money. And from now on, you're going to sleep on the couch. I'm going to sleep on the bed. And from now on, and she says, whoa, whoa. Never said whoa before that damn people got together with her. Whoa. That's what I mean, whoa. Do you know what today is? She said, I don't know what today is. She's going to the kitchen, look at the calendar. And I went out in the kitchen. It was a great big red circle. Tom Sober, one year, two days. July the 5th, still crazy. Comes out, she says, I used to think, I used to think our problem was booze. You're as nutty now as you've ever been, and I know you haven't had anything to drink in a year, Tommy. I have to divorce you, Tommy. I can't live with you drunk or sober. You're just crazy. The kids are fed up with being your whipping post. I'm fed up with being your whipping post. You always want to do this and do that, and all you could have done if it wasn't for us, well, go do it, Tom. I went to the meetings. I grabbed the old time. I said, you lied to me. You told me it was going to get better. My wife's divorced me. I haven't had a drink in a year. Your wife's divorcing you. Oh, Tommy, I never got divorced. Bill, did you get a... Come here, Bill. Tell Tom about divorce. Oh, Tom, they're great. You're going to get spiritual. She's going to take every damn material thing you own, Tom. <laughs> I went to a meeting. I was sober 14 months. Oh, God. Okay. You don't have to check out or anything, huh? Guy gets up here and he tells my story. Tells my story. He, him and I, he was sober six years. And his wife was in the audience and she was looking at him like he was some kind of movie star. And I thought, oh, God, when is that going to happen for me? When is my wife going to want to be with me? And they were going on a, a vacation, the two kids in, the, in their brand new used station wagon, and they were going to go somewhere. In a, uh, they, and I thought, oh, God, when, when does that happen? How come with me sobriety has to be a fight all the time? He ended his lead. He says, take it home, yo-yo. Take the program home. Take the guy home you want to be. Take the guy home you're going to be. Act as if until... You did your damage at home. Make your amends at home. Don't come in here telling a new man about your third step and your spiritual life and then go home rotten rave with the wife and kids. Let me tell you something about an alky. An alky is not impressed on what you know or what you say. 
You can tell an alky for, for three weeks about this great spiritual life, and then you take him to your house, and he sees your, his, your wife and your kids looking at you with fear in their eyes. He knows you're full of bull. An alky is not impressed on what you say. He's impressed on what you do and what he sees. If he sees a home with his happiness, then he'll want what you have. If he sees in your home the same thing he got in his home, he don't need what you have. Don't tell him about the big book. Be the big book. Be the big book. Live the big book. Let him see that. Let him see the results of the big book. Then maybe he'll want what you have. You're six foot two, you feel like yelling and screaming? Find somebody six foot two, go outside, yell and scream at him. And pick yourself up off the ground. Because he's going to deck you. <laughs> Honey, I want to take you and the kids for ice cream. Huh, is that a big deal? After the meeting, I grabbed some old timers. I said, don't tell me take it home. Not to. How do you take it home? One old timer said, when was the last time you said to wife, thanks for a nice supper? What do you mean, thanks for a nice supper? I bought the food. When was the last time you called up and said, honey, I want to take you and the kids out? Never. I might have been sober 14 months. I still never thought of anybody but me. A self-centered, selfish son of a gun. It goes with the territory. It's part of the disease. Guy from the group puts his arm around my shoulder. He says, Tommy, can I speak to you over there a minute? I figured he needed some advice. He's only been sober 30 years. <laughs> puts his arm around my shoulder. He says, you self-centered, selfish son of a gun. When are you going to grow up? A little over a year ago, you were sleeping in the weeds. Did you forget that? Now you got a home, a warm bed to sleep in, you got a wife, you got kids, you got a job, you got a few bucks in your pocket. When are you going to learn how to say thank you, God, for the things you have? Instead of moaning and groaning, you've been sober 14 months, you haven't got a Cadillac. Isn't that a damn shame? Grow up. We have four absolutes, Burns. One of them is honesty. Put it in your life if you can. Another one's unselfishness. Put that in your life for 30 days and watch your world turn around. On the way home, I said, Tommy, if you don't change, you're going to drink. So you better do something. I don't care what you do, but you better do something. I stop at a Lawson store. I buy a box of chocolate-covered cherries, $1.89. Big deal, huh? And a card that you would give somebody that was in the hospital. Thanks for being there when I needed you. This is not marriage counseling. This is AA. This is the first time I thought of anybody but me. And I took the card, and I said... Thank you for being there when I needed you. Love, Tom. And I took the candy and the card. I went home. I went in the back door. I didn't have the guts to go in the living room and give it to her. I put it on the kitchen table. And I walked in the living room, and for the first time in my life, I talked to her like she had a brain. Honey, can I have two minutes of your time? That's all I want. And I you feel about my AA. And I you feel about the divorce and everything else. But listen to me, honey. I, I heard a guy talk tonight. And Dan McClendon, I want to be like him. Do you know him and his wife and kids are going on a vacation? I want us to go on vacations, Glenn. And yeah, they're struggling. They just got a new apartment, and they and they they got a, a new refrigerator that day. And and but yeah, but but they're making it, and they're starting to get some of the some of the good things. I want us to have some of the good things. She looked up and smiled. She said, "Who led the meeting? Jesus." <laughs> Couldn't believe it. She said, "I'll make some coffee." She ran the kitchen. About five minutes, I heard her crying, and I went out to the kitchen. She had the card and the candy, and and just all the the hurt for years just poured out and we sat at the kitchen table and we talked at 3 o'clock in the morning and we cried yeah you have feelings I didn't know that yeah you have a brain I didn't know that I listened for the first time in my life I listened 
and we hugged and we cried and we talked and we hugged and we cried and we talked and we got the out the envelopes and we put ten a week in this one and twenty a week in that one. Start paying the bills. Anybody on the couch? Get a box of candy. It's no big deal. It's little things. Hey, babe, how about coming in and having lunch with me to play some golf this afternoon? Is that a big deal? I come home from work. I was sober 18 months. And, and she says, Tom, you see that $30 on the kitchen table? I said, yeah, she's, that's ours. Big deal. Sober 18 months, got 30 bucks. Big deal, you bet. Where we come from, it was a big deal. So I put... My kids, my wife, and my new used station wagon. I went out to Sandusky, Ohio, to a Perkins pancake house. I got $30 worth of pancakes, strawberries, and whipped cream. My three sons sat there. My daughter climbed up on my lap. She's, Daddy, can I have more strawberries? I said, more stra- honey, you can be a strawberry. Kiss me, Daddy, I love you. Four years old. Daddy, I love you. When we were going to the car, my sons grabbed my hand. I want to be with you, Dad. They wanted to sit in the front seat with Daddy. Huh? That's my AA. Since then, we went on houseboat trips and skiing trips. And, oh, God. I'm getting better jobs. I go to my sponsor. I says, hey, I said, this is great. I'm, I'm Midnight, my phone rings. Burns picked me up. About time he did some 12-step work. I go to a house. Little summer cottage, and there's a woman by the kitchen sink with a great big bruise on her face. Two kids, five and six years old, sneakers and underwear, look just like my house, crying and scared. This guy's a lump in on the couch. She says, my husband's dead. He, he asked me to call, and he died. And I walked in the couch. I picked him up. I listened for a heart. I listened for a breath and nothing. I said, you son of a gun, why did you have to die on my first 12-step call? What am I going to tell the guys Friday night? I try to carry the message, I get a corpse. What the hell do you want me to do? I go out to the kitchen, I grab him, I says, hey, this guy is... He went over to the woman, he said, do you have anything in the house to drink? She said, I have a bottle of wine. He took the wine in a glass, walked in the living room, hit them together, says, hey, buddy, want a drink? Guy sat right up. I said, look at that, they even raised the dead, these people. Want to go to a party with... You know what impressed them? You know what impressed this guy? He filled the glass up, when the guy drank it down about halfway, he filled it again. Isn't that strange? The guy says, wow, you guys were all right. Damn right. Alkies, no. He come and we took him to the hospital. Boom, boom. I get home five in the morning. I go to work. I come home five at night. I take a shower. I don't even want to eat. I'm going to bed. The phone rings. The old timer says, did you stop and see the new man? I said, no, I didn't stop and see the new man. I don't like the new man. I worked all day. I worked all... I was up all night. I worked all day. I'm going to bed. No, you're not. You're going down to see the new man. No, I'm not. You put him in there. He's going to be there for six days. You see him every day. His life's in your hands. I said, I don't know what to tell him. Who the hell says you got to tell him anything? How about getting some cigarettes, bringing him some cigarettes, and letting him know somebody cares enough just to be there? How about that? I slam the phone down. I get in the car. I go get cigarettes. I go to the hospital. I don't go to the hospital because I think I'm Jesus saving the world. I go to the hospital because I'm afraid not to. I go to the hospital because I think if I don't go to the hospital, I make it drunk, so I'll do whatever I have to do. I walk in the room. He looks at me. I look at him and say, how are they treating you? Everything alright? <laughs> Is food okay? <laughs> Look, you son of a gun, I don't like you either, but my sponsors, I gotta come here and talk to you. Here's your cigarette. Smoke, I don't care you smoke, you don't smoke, smoke the damn cigarettes. And he opened the cigarette, took one, says, thanks, Tom. You know why he's where we were? Because he's afraid. 
because he don't remember how we got to the hospital. He don't know if he has a job. He don't know if he has a family. And I tell him how I felt when I woke up in jail. And he says, you know. I says, yeah, you're damn right I know. You have nothing until he knows you know. That's the beginning of sponsorship. When he knows you know. When he knows you've been there. And now he sees you now and he says, how do I get where you are? Come follow me. I'll show you. I take him home. Go to meetings, meetings, meetings. Every night I'm, I was playing God. I'm picking the leads. You got to hear this guy, got to hear that guy. He gets in my car. He's sober three months. He says, did you read the 24-hour book today? I said, no, I didn't read the 24-hour book. Today. Oh, you should read the 24-hour book. It's great. So I bought one, 24-hour book. Read yesterday, next week, next week. He asked me about this book tomorrow, boy. I'll know all about this book. <laughs> Five months he gets in my car. He says, fifth chapter blows your mind, don't it? I bought a big book. I don't know. I don't know where you got AA. I got it in cars, church basements, kitchens. I could read, but by the time I finish this paragraph, I get to this one. I don't know what's in that one. I got scrambled eggs for a brain. I hope you get in there, big book, long before I did. Oh, God. I was doing the 12 steps long before I knew what the 12 steps were. They give me the four absolutes. That's all they trusted me with. Don't give them too much of it. Nutty. Eight months, I get a call from this woman, and she says, Tom, could you please come down the house? And she's crying, and I thought, that son of a gun's drinking. I'll break his legs. After all I did, huh? You think you're doing it when you're new. <laughs> I got to that driveway, and I heard a screen door slam, and I looked up, and here's this little woman coming at me, and she is just out of it. And she took my hands and put them behind my back and kissed me on the cheek, and I could feel the tears coming down my, my cheek. And she says, God bless you, Tom Burns, and God bless A.A. And it hits you. I'm a drunk. And I got a woman blessing me? What, what is she blessing me for? That's when AA goes from the head to the heart. That, I can't separate AA from my life anymore. I can separate my fingers from my hand. Two kids come running out. Come on, Uncle Tom. Come on. They put you into a bedroom. He's standing by the bed. And there's a bed full of dresses and slips and Levi's and sneakers and a little bicycle. A refrigerator full of food. You want to see AA? Watch a six-year-old kid carrying a pair of Levi's, jumping up and down. Look what my dad got me. Look what my dad got me. And they're looking at his dad like he's Superman. His dad went to work and went to the credit union and borrowed 1200 bucks. and they went Christmas shopping in July. You want to see AA? Watch those kids. You watch that wife. I got in the car. I'm going home. I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm singing. I said, God, I don't know you, but I've seen what you do. So from now on, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I love it. And I got home and I said to the wife, honey, you should see that house. You should see those kids. I wish you were with me. She said, I've never seen you so happy. You want to get happy? Forget yourself. Forget yourself. You think you've got problems? Go down to a, to a hospital and sit and listen to a new man. You'll forget yours quick. Let's put all our problems on a piece of paper. Put them by the coffee. When you go for the coffee, read all the problems. Ninety-nine percent of us will take our own back. So for the next 20 years, I sponsor and we hundreds of people come to our home. We put additions on our house. We've got people. And, and my life is full. I go into business and we're, my son comes in the program. My daughter, Corrine, comes in the program. Everything I touch turns to gold. And I'm telling everybody in the world about this wonderful God and all the favors he bestowed on me and oh, how great it is. 
And my daughter was traveling to Aruba and all these different places. She was in New Orleans and Washington, every state in the union, promoting Coca-Cola. She worked for an advertising agency and they gave her the Coca-Cola account. She used to come home and sit at my kitchen table. Dad, do you know I met an old timer in New Orleans? He talks about AA just like you. Only he talks about slower, Dad. He, 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 he. And we talked till, till three in the morning, sharing. She come home and she said, Dad, my next assignment's down just south of Miami, and, and I, I don't want the. When she would travel, she would collect antiques. She says, I don't want any, any company moving my antiques. I said, Honey, don't worry. And I took a company truck, we put all our antiques in it, and I gave her the little Italian convertible, and she drove down, and I followed her, and the wife come with the family car. We got to Florida, beautiful place. My God, my daughter's living great. Pools and everything. Unpack her. She's, no, you and Mom go out to eat, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix up the apartment, and tomorrow morning, I'm, we're going to breakfast together. And we have breakfast together, and she hugs me and kisses me. Gave me a letter telling me how much I, I helped her through her life and how much I mean to her. And we went home. And in 10 days, the, the local police come to our house and told us that our daughter was murdered. Some drug addict needed money, and he seen the antiques, and he broke into the apartment. She woke up, and he killed it. You go absolutely crazy. I went out in the backyard. I says, God, you can go to hell. Because I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to blow somebody's head off. And you can take your AA. You can take you. If this is the way things you do, you can go to hell. I don't care what you do. And we get through the court process because they caught him, and that's a nightmare. Finally, he gets put in jail, and I'm home, and I can't get at him. I'm thinking, well, I'll go to Florida. I, I go to bed at 11, wake up at 12, and pace the floor all night, thinking I'll go to Florida, I'll start an AA meeting, and I'll go to the prison. And when he comes to the meeting, I'll kill him. You go nuts. For three years, that's all you can think about. You don't sleep, you don't eat, you don't do nothing. You go to go to work, and you get to the corner, and you forget which way to turn. You're driving down the street and you start crying you can't see. And you're full of hate. And AAs come to your house and they say, Tommy, you've got to learn to forgive. Forgive. And I throw them out of the house. Say, you forgive when your daughter gets murdered. Don't tell me what to do. Finally, one day you're in the kitchen and the way it was explained to me was that my body stopped producing the fluids the brain needed and my brain short-circuited. You think you're moving your right hand, you're moving your left, you, 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 you can't read a rule, you can't read a book, you're nothing. You just... My son, Chris, got five years of sobriety, comes to the house with another fellow, and he says, come on, Dad, let's, let's take you to the hospital. Just because you're sober 23 years don't mean you can't crack up. Everybody's saying 23 years of sobriety, he can get through anything. That's bull. The suffering alcoholic we help, the suffering alcoholic could be sitting right next to you with 30 years of sobriety hurting. We get to the hospital, the doctor says, how do you feel, Mr. Burns? I don't care if I live or die. Don't ever say that to a doctor. Never say that. They put you in a little cell. My son says, you're not going to put him anywhere. We call my family doctor. They put me in a ward. Guy comes in. When's the last time you slept? I said, I don't know. He's your little pills. He walk around like a zombie for four days. You're there two weeks. They send you home. They say, try going home for a weekend. You get in the house. You're not in the house an hour. And you see your daughter's picture. And right away, you want to you go to Florida again. And they send you back. AA's coming. You don't want to see them. Let me show you how great this program is. Let me show you how great this program is. My son Chris has five years of sobriety, walks in the hospital room with a big book. 
And he says, Dad, these people can help you mentally and physically, but me, Dad, me and this book, we're going to help you spiritually, Dad. I said, Chris, take your book, your God, and get the hell out of here. He killed my daughter. And my son grabs my hand. He says, where did you get that God? Where did he come from? Where did you get a killing God? Don't blame my God for my, daughter, my sister's death. A drug addict, a very sick man killed my sister. Not my God. My God loves. He probably cried when those girls were killed too. Don't blame my God. You want to see my God, Dad? He says, look at the people in AA. How about the God you told me about all my life? But the loving God, where is he, Dad? And we opened the big book and we took the second part of the first step and my life is unmanageable. And my son sponsored me. And I got a new conception of God. If there's somebody that you love and you think I'll tell them tomorrow, don't wait. Tell them today. I don't let a day go by where I don't pass my grandkids' house where I don't stop. I used to say, well, I'll see him this weekend. No, no, no. I'll see him right now. Don't bring flowers to the grave. If you've got amends to make to your mother, your father, your wife, or anybody else, you make them now. Bring a flowers to the grave don't mean nothing. Bring the body. Bring the body. The mind's going to catch up. You're going to find a life you never dreamed existed. For those of you who lost children, you know what I mean. I spend more time with my daughter now than I did when she's alive. Do you know that? I talk to her all the time. I get thoughts back from her. I know what she would say. We better check out of here, people. I got one more thing to, to tell you, just the way we look at this. I, I went back to the doctor two years ago and to see how am I doing. My son took me and, and the doctor said, Mr. Burns, you're doing great. He says, you're back 40%. <laughs> and my son says, that's wonderful. Before I got sick, he was only operating with 20%. <laughs> so we laugh about dad's illness and we, we, whatever. You learn to laugh at yourself. Thank you for listening to me, people. Have a safe trip home.